It is good to see you all here this morning. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Andrew, one of the pastors here. Uh, and today we are going to be continuing in our series, Dear Church, where we have been looking at the first couple chapters of the book of Revelation. And uh, if you're new with us, you haven't been with us so far in this series, uh, the first couple chapters of Revelation uh, are all about these different letters that Jesus had uh, sent to these different churches that really existed back in the first century. And as a church, we've been looking at them so that we can uh, better learn how we as believers today and as a church should, should live and operate. Uh, there are things that Jesus said to these churches. Some of them were affirmations of things that they were doing well in that first century context. And then other times, they, they weren't doing things so well. There were different warnings that Jesus gave. And today, uh, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 3. It's a, a letter to a church called Sardis, uh, or the town was called Sardis, and the church was in, in that town. And today's letter, uh, it's mostly a warning. It's, a, it's not the most uh, fuzzy, feel-good letter that you'll ever read. Um, but warnings aren't necessarily a bad thing. I mean, some warnings are actually really good. When you're driving down the road and you're getting to an intersection and you see a yellow light, that's a warning that tells you, hey, you need to speed up and get through the intersection, right? No, hopefully none of us do that, right? No, we slow down, we do the right thing. But that warning is that, hey, you need to to make a decision here because danger is coming. There's going to be cars coming the opposite, from the other way, and you need to get out of the intersection. And so that's a warning that is good for us. You know, it's good that it doesn't go right from green to red. There's that warning of yellow. And today there's two Sardis. Jesus kind of gives them this yellow light warning of, hey, you need to make a switch. Something needs to happen here or else. All right. So uh, like I said, we're in Revelation chapter 3. So feel free to open up your Bible or on our website. You can go to our follow along. We're in Revelation chapter 3 verses 1 to 6. And we're just going to read through the passage, and then we're going to go back and walk through it. All right? So here we go. Revelation 3, verses 1 to 6. It says, Write this letter to the angel of the church in Sardis. This is the message from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. He says, I know all the things you do, and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly, repent, and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as unexpected as a thief. Yet there are some in the church in Sardis who have not spoiled their clothes with evil. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. All who are victorious will be clothed in white. I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my Father and his angels that they are mine. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. All right. So we'll go back, first one, and uh, just kind of walk through this a little bit. Uh, As you can see on the screen, uh, the passage is kind of broken up into four different parts. The first part here in verse 1 and the last part in verse 6, that's kind of the intro and the conclusion. Uh, And then in the middle there is kind of the body of the letter. But here in in the intro, we see Jesus talks about this letter to the angel in the church in Sardis. And uh, Pastor Corey talked about this 
in week one, it says angel. Um, Jesus is, is having these letters sent to an angel, and there's different views on this. Is this talking about a spiritual being, or uh, the Greek word angel uh, is angelos, and it simply means messenger. And so some people think, no, this is actually just a, a messenger in that church to that specific church. It's a pastor, a church leader, or whatnot. Um, but either way, Jesus is writing, about to write this letter to a messenger who's going to go deliver this to the church in Sardis. And the city of Sardis, just like all the other cities we've been looking at, it wasn't some rinky-dink town. It was a well-established city. They had a a reputation for their military strength. There was a big fortress there that they were well-known for. Uh, They had a temple to the goddess Artemis, and they had different temples to different deities and whatnot. It was a a common, uh, just typical uh, Roman city during the first century. And there was a a Jewish population there, and then there was this church here in Sardis. And it says, this is the message from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. Now, this is Jesus. He's describing himself as the one writing this. And uh, this, I'll be honest, when you first read this, it's like, what in the world is Jesus talking about? Like, we don't talk like this nowadays, or at least... I try not to because I want people to understand me clearly. But Jesus here, when he's saying these things about seven stars and the sevenfold spirit of God, he's, he's using this term seven. Uh, it's seven is an important number in the whole Bible, but especially in Revelation. And uh, Pastor Corey talked the first week about the seven stars because that comes up to these different letters a number of times. And the seven stars simply refers to the seven messengers of those seven churches. And so Jesus says, hey, as the messenger, as the one giving this message, I have authority over these churches. Now, the sevenfold spirit of God, that, that's a little more uh, just kind of weird. Uh, there's different ways that different translations go about uh, understanding what this means. Uh, you might have a translation in front of you that says the seven spirits of God instead of the sevenfold spirit. Um, and so some people have the understanding that, hey, the Jesus is referring to seven spirits that are around the throne of God. And that's all we really know. Um, But the way that I personally lean in understanding this is I like the way that NLT says it, the sevenfold spirit of God. And uh, like I said, seven is an important number. It's the number of completion. It's the number of perfection in scripture. We see God created the world in seven days and on the seventh day he rested. And so what I really think uh, Jesus is talking about, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, the complete perfect spirit that is with him. Now, either way, the main thing that Jesus is trying to get across here is that what he's about to say in the next few verses, he has the authority to say it because he has the sevenfold spirit of God, because he has the seven stars. He has authority to talk to the, to the Christians in Sardis the way he's about to talk to them. All right? So that's the intro. Now let's dive into the letter itself. If we continue on, Jesus starts off the letter. He says, I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Has anyone ever gotten a letter like that? That will kind of get your attention, like whiplash. Like, yeah, we're alive. Whoa, they think we're dead? And Jesus, like, imagine getting this letter from Jesus. This would wake you up. At least I hope it would. But Jesus talks about how they have a reputation for being alive. Now, reputations can be powerful things, right? Uh, Maybe you've heard the saying, your reputation precedes you. 
Has anyone heard that expression before? It's kind of that idea that we all, there's kind of this uh, image or idea that people have about us, and it precedes us into the world. And so based on the things we do or say or, or uh, maybe a, uh, something we did in life, um, good or bad or whatnot, and people get an impression about who we are, and then they go talk to other people about us. And so our reputation can precede us into the world. And uh, like I said, sometimes that can be a positive thing. Sometimes it may be a negative thing. When I was in college at LBC, uh, oftentimes I would pick uh, who my professors were going to be based off of the reputation uh, that they had with the upperclassmen that I talked to. So I'd go to pick a class, and there'd be multiple profs teaching that class, and so I'd ask around, hey, what do you think of this prof? What do you think of that prof? And there'd be uh, students that would say, oh yeah, you want that prof. They're interesting. You're going to learn a lot. It's, it's going to be awesome. And there's others that are like, you do not want to get that prof. They are dry, they are boring, you're going to fall asleep. Or, hey, if you want an easy grade, make sure you get that prof. Or, good luck passing that prof, because they are super hard. Or, I, there was one prof I had who had the reputation for, he would, he would never teach with his shoes on. He would come into the classroom, first thing he'd do is take his shoes off, and then he'd teach. No idea why he did that, but that was his reputation. He was a cool professor, but he just had some quirkiness about him, all right? So reputations precede us into the world. But sometimes those reputations don't always align with reality. Sometimes our reputations actually don't really mirror the truth. Sometimes I'd get into a classroom with a prof and I'd have a, this reputation. I'd hear it about them. I'd have this idea of what they'd be like. And then they actually weren't like that. Now what's the reputation of this church in Sardis? That they're alive. And that sounds like a pretty good reputation, right? Like as a church, wouldn't that be a great way to be described? Like, hey, we are an alive church. There's stuff happening here. This is good. And Jesus doesn't elaborate. We don't know. Maybe, maybe that was their reputation because there was a big revival at one point in the past and everyone was like, man, that church in Sardis, they are so alive. Or maybe it was because of the present practices they were doing. Maybe they, every, every time they met, there was large crowds in their church, or there was a, a lot of tithing going to the church, or, or maybe they were just kind people. We, we don't know. But for whatever reason, they had a reputation for being alive, and yet how does Jesus see them? He says, you know what? You're dead. Jesus saw the reality of their hearts, the reality of their spiritual condition. While the rest of the world, maybe even other Christians or other churches in the area, maybe they saw this church and was like, you're alive. But Jesus said, you know what? Actually, you're dead. So Jesus, he goes on and he says, wake up, strengthen what little remains for even what is left is almost dead. All right, so now we realize Jesus, now he's saying, hey, there's still something there. So they're not quite fully dead. So we realize when he says they're dead, he's actually speaking hyperbolically. Like he's speaking with strong language. He's using exaggeration to get them to wake up. Like that, that's what he's trying to do. And so there's still something here that he's like, you know what? You need to strengthen this little bit that's still left because you're, you're dying. You're spiritually just, you're heading, you're heading down. This isn't good. 
And we don't know what that little bit was. Maybe there was a little bit of faith or some desire for, for Jesus or, or whatever, but there was something salvageable there that Jesus was like, you know what? You gotta get your act together. You gotta wake up. Now, I think we get a hint of why they were spiritually dying in the next, in the next sense. If you look there in the middle, Jesus says, I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. All right, so this is, this is at least part of the puzzle of why Jesus thinks they're dying spiritually. But what does this, this mean? Jesus is examining them as a church, as individuals. He's saying, you know what? There's these requirements that I have for, like, for my followers, and you're not meeting it. There's some sort of standard that Jesus has put on their life because they claim to be his followers, and their lives just aren't matching up. Now, how does that make us feel? Let's just pause there. The fact that Jesus is saying, hey, like, if you're my follower... There's kind of a standard I'm calling you to. You can't just say you're my follower and act alive or seem alive or have that reputation, but then not live the way I am calling you to. And again, Jesus doesn't really elaborate. He doesn't go in and it'd be awesome if you just listed like right off the bat, like this is how you're not meeting the requirement. This is how you're not meeting the requirement. But we can look at the other letters that Jesus writes to these churches uh, here at the beginning of Revelation. And there are different actions and things that Jesus says, hey, that, that other church, like the church in Thyatira that we looked at last week or, or Ephesus that we looked at a number of weeks ago, that he looks at them and says, hey, these are good things. And so some of the things that Jesus affirms in the other churches are this. He, he affirms uh, love when the churches are, are full of love. He affirms their faithfulness. He affirms their perseverance through hard times and through persecution. He affirms them keeping his word, obeying him. He affirms them when they don't deny his name to the world around them. And Jesus is looking at this church in Sardis and is saying, you know what? Like, you're not doing any of these things. You're not living the way that I've called you to. Now, Jesus, in the next verse, I think he, he, he's moving on. He's saying, hey, you need to wake up. And then I think he gives us a glimpse of why they need to wake up. And now he's about to tell them how they can wake up. So in verse 3 there, it says this. It says, go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as unexpected as a thief. So there's two things here that Jesus says. Did you see them? What's the first one? He says, go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. This is Jesus saying, hey, this is the first thing you need to do. If you want to wake up, if you want to turn away from spiritually dying back to actually being alive like your reputation is, then you need to go back to what you heard and believed at first. And what would that have been? This church hasn't existed that long. It's still the first century. Christianity hasn't been around that long. You know, the things they would have heard first are the gospel. They would have heard the teachings of the apostles or those who would have known the, the apostles. And so Jesus is calling them back to like, hey, come back to what really matters. The center of your faith. It's the gospel. 
Because apparently this church had drifted from it, had wandered from the first things. So Jesus tells them to come back to that and to hold to it firmly, and then he tells them to repent. Now, Pastor Tim talked about this a couple weeks ago, the importance of repentance and what it is. It's that idea of my life is heading this way, and then I 180 degrees turn and go this way. Repentance isn't just something we do with our mouth. It's something that we, it, it, repentance is a reflection of our heart. Where, we're, where our life was heading this way, and then we have a change of heart, and yes, with our words we repent, but then also with our actions, with our whole life, we turn 180 degrees and go this way. And if you're a Jesus follower today, repentance is part of what God calls us to do. He calls us to repent from our sins and to receive the free gift of his grace and mercy and love and to turn and now live for him, follow him. Our life should be different now that Jesus has entered it. Now, does that mean as Christians we're always going to live perfectly in this life? No. We're going to fall. We're going to mess up. We're going to make mistakes but the idea is of, a, of turning from this way, going back towards God with my whole life, not just lip service, but with everything. We're called to, to walk the walk and talk the talk when we, it comes to repentance, to go from death to life. And Jesus, so he calls him to say, hey, you got to hold on to the gospel. You got to repent. But if you don't, what does he say? He says, if you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as unexpected as a thief. Meaning Jesus is going to come and he's going to deal with what they're doing. He's going to come. There's going to be some judgment here for the church in Sardis. Not the most fun letter ever, right? That's some pretty tough stuff. Now there's one more verse I want to look at. that kind of Because Jesus is talking to this first group of people here. Here in verses, uh, the end of verse 1 to verse 3. But in verse 4, we get another glimpse, I think, of, of the condition of these people. And in verse 4, it says, Yet there are some in the church in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes with evil. All right, so Jesus, he, he switched gears. He's now talking to a different group of people in the church. He's talking about, hey, there's some people there who haven't soiled their clothes, he says. Which implies that the first group of people that he's just warned to wake up, that they have soiled their clothes with evil. Now, what, what in the world does that mean? Like, why is Jesus talking about them soiling their clothes? The word, now, the word soil, it can refer to someone making something dirty or something unclean, defiling something. If I go stick my hands in some mud, I, I soil my hands with mud. Or you could soil your reputation by doing something that, that isn't good. You know, you can soil uh, things that way. Now, is Jesus saying these people need to wake up that they've forgotten the gospel, that they aren't living at the standards God has called them to because they have dirty clothes on? Is that what Jesus is saying? My mom, when she talks about when I was younger, she always, for whatever reason, she loves talking about the fact that I always had huge holes in my pants, in my jeans. Because I'd run around outside and I would just get these huge, massive holes that would just get bigger and bigger and bigger until they were just rags, all right? And my my pants were just always dirty because I was playing in the woods. I would always soil my pants when I was a kid. I should have just wore shorts because I just always had these huge holes. Now, is that what Jesus is talking about? That this church in Sardis, they got holy pants, they have, they're soiling them, they're dirty. No, that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's using this 
idea, this image of dirty clothes as a, as a symbol. It's a symbol, it's an image of a person polluting themselves uh, with sin. It's a picture of a person being defiled by the sin and the corruption of the world and the culture around them. And so these Christians in Sardis who need to wake up, they have become polluted by, by the culture around them. They've allowed themselves to be defiled by sin. And so, uh, so it, it seems like the church in Sardis looked like the city of Sardis. Like if you went to Sardis, you'd see the, the, the temple of Artemis and you'd see their great big fortress and you'd see the different like uh, uh, market areas and then you'd see the church and you wouldn't know the difference. The, pe- the people in this church just, they were defiled by, by the culture around them. Now, is it wrong for us as believers to engage with our culture? What do you think? Is that, is that a wrong thing for us to do? I don't think so. I don't know how we can live out the Great Commission from Matthew 28, where Jesus tells us to go make disciples of the whole world. I don't know how we can do that without engaging our culture. And Jesus certainly went around and he loved people who were different from him. He ate with tax collectors. He loved prostitutes. He loved the people who were, who were seemingly the most defiled by culture. And so I don't think that we as Christians should just be, ooh, culture, yuck, let's go be hermits in the desert somewhere. Like, that's not what we're called to do. But there is a difference between engaging with culture and allowing culture and the world around us to, for us to become like that, for us to look just like culture. And there, this warning that Jesus has to this church in Sardis, it is just a sad, it's a sad picture. I mean, this church the reputation is it's alive, and yet it's dying. It's forgotten the gospel. It's not living to the requirements that God has called them to, and they look just like the culture around them. Now let's stop and think. Could that happen to a church today? Could that happen to an individual today? I think so. I think so. And so I think Jesus' warning to the church in Sardis, to this first group of people, I think we need to process a little bit this morning. Because although that letter was written to the church in Sardis, it was written for us as well. You know, it was written to them in that first century context, but as Jesus followers, we can look at God's word and we can glean from it. And I think we need to glean from this warning that maybe we need to wake up at times. Because I think sometimes there's a danger when we, when we think we're following Jesus based off of our reputation, but we're not actually following him based off of our identity in him. And so I think our identity in Jesus, uh, it matters more than your reputation for Jesus. Your identity in Jesus matters more than your reputation for Jesus. Now, I think we could easily get a reputation for being a Jesus follower for some different ways. One, just by going to church. You go to church, you tell the people at your work, hey, I go to church, and so they could think, oh yeah, they're, they're probably a Christian because they go to church. Or by giving money to charity, or by tithing, people get the, repu- the reputation that they're a Jesus follower. By wearing christian t-shirts, people could think, oh yeah, you have a Camp Conquest t-shirt on, you're probably a Christian. 
By, by getting baptized, people look at that and say, oh, yeah, you're a Christian, you, you got baptized. Um, by saying a sinner's prayer at some point, you know. Um, I remember doing that as a kid, saying a prayer to accept Jesus into my heart. Um, and so maybe that gives me the reputation for being a Christian. Uh, listening to Christian music, watching Christian movies, um, or simply just being a kind, humble, servant-hearted person. Now, are any of those things bad? No, no, no. A lot of those things are really good. It's, it's awesome when someone's able to look back and say, yeah, this is when I got baptized and I publicly declared to everyone that I'm a follower of Jesus. That's a good thing. It's a good thing if we have the reputation of being a kind, servant-hearted person. That's, that's good. It's good to come to church, to fellowship with other believers, and to worship God corporately. But I think there's a danger when we allow those things that give us the appearance to other people that we're a believer. And so we get around other people who would say, yeah, you're, you're a Jesus follower, and kind of affirm that based on those things, rather than on the inside actually having a true walk with Jesus. And I think that the church in Sardis, that some of them had the reputation for Jesus followers, but in reality, they were lost. In reality, they weren't alive like everyone thought they were. And so Jesus is telling them to wake up. Now I want to just take a, uh, uh, kind of go down a little rabbit trail here and just be clear about something. I don't think Jesus is telling the church in Sardis that, hey, at one time you were a believer, you were alive, and you're in danger of losing your salvation. I don't think Jesus is saying that. I don't believe we as Christians can lose our salvation. Uh, If you look at Romans chapter 8, at the end of it, verses 38 and 39, it talks about how nothing, literally nothing, can separate us from the love of God. It talks about how neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither fears for today nor worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. That's Romans 8, 38. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Or we go to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, uh, and it says this, verses 27 to 29. And Jesus is talking here. Some people have come up to him and asked him about if he is the Messiah, if he's going to declare it at some point. And Jesus goes on to talk about his believers. And he says, my sheep, those who who are his believers, he says, they listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they'll never perish. No one can snatch them away from me, for my Father has given them to me, and he is more more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from my Father's hand. No one can snatch them from their Father's hand, not even themselves. Or in 2 Corinthians 5.17, the Apostle Paul talks about how anyone is in Christ is a literally a new creation, Like there's been such a work within our sinful heart that we are made new. And so I don't believe we can lose our salvation. Nothing can separate us from God's love. We're in his hands. Nothing can snatch us from that. We are a new creation. Our salvation is secure. But Jesus also said this. Listen listen to this. In Matthew chapter 7 on the Sermon on the Mount... He said, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. I don't know how that makes you feel. It makes me feel kind of, ooh, there's just kind of this tension of like, in God's word, we see God's love and the security that he holds us and that we are a new creation. But then the reality that, hey, there might be some who have the reputation for being Jesus followers who may even declare like, yeah, Lord, Lord, like I worship you, but there's something in their life where they actually have never become true believers. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at here to this church in Sardis. That they need to wake up because they think they're alive. They have that reputation, but in reality, they're, they're dying. And so that's why I think identity in Jesus, that that matters more than your reputation for Jesus. And so maybe you're here today, and maybe... I just want us to think about our lives for a little bit. Maybe you have this reputation for being a Jesus follower. But let me ask you, do you actually have that identity? Has your life actually gone from, passed from death to life because of the good news of the gospel? Is there actually repentance and brokenness over sin and a desire to follow Jesus? And again, as Jesus followers, are we going to live a perfect life here now? No, Jesus isn't, isn't saying that. But there is a difference between reputation faith and a genuine identity faith in Jesus. And so we all need to just think about, where am I at? Now, like I've already said, I think we can have confidence in our salvation because of what Jesus uh, has done for us on the cross, because his, nothing can separate us from his love. So maybe you're here today, and maybe though, uh, recently, maybe you, you've kind of put the brakes on actively following Jesus and you're kind of going through the motions in life and kind of living based off of your Christian reputation rather than your Christian identity. Maybe life has been really stressful right now and it's just been easier to coast for Jesus rather than to actively engage with him and live for him. Maybe you've had a big disappointment lately where it's like, you know what? God didn't show up the way I thought he was going to. And so, yeah, I'm, his, I'm still his follower, but I'm just going to kind of take a step back and just kind of go through the motions. Or maybe life is going so good for you right now that you're just distracted and you're just kind of coasting on that Christian reputation, doing the Christian thing, rather than allowing that identity as a Jesus follower to actually impact your everyday life. And so I think this warning to the church in Sardis shouldn't just be for those of us here who aren't believers. I think it should be for all of us. Because I think all of us can be tempted to kind of take a step back at times and go through the motions. I'll tell you what, I get tempted by that all the time. Because it's a lot easier to live off of my reputation as a Jesus follower than my true identity. It's easy to go to church and do the Christian thing, but then when I get home and I realize, oh man, 
I messed up. I need to apologize to my wife. I don't really want to do that. That's a lot harder to do than just coming to church. Or, or oh, man, I got to go love my neighbors. Or I have this opportunity to share Jesus with somebody, and you know what? I'm not going to take that because it's they know I'm a Christian. They'll just watch my life. I don't have to share the gospel with them. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? I, I can so easily just go based off of my reputation and just, you know what? I'm good. And forget that, you know what? Jesus has saved me so that I can live now for him and with him. And that's, that's my true identity. It's not just going to church. It's not just singing Christian songs. It's actively loving the God of the universe, being loved by him, and loving others. And I think that identity, at least for me, can be really scary to do sometimes, can be easy to put on the back burner, and just, you know what, I'll let my reputation as a Jesus follower just kind of be what kind of gets me along. And so I think we all just need to process that today. All right, that's a lot. (laughs) That's the first group of people Jesus talks to. The second group, it's a lot more fun to think about. (laughs) So if we go back to verse 4, it's just two verses here, verse 4 and 5. Jesus says this. He says, Yet there are some in the church in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes with evil. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. All who are victorious will be clothed in white. I will never erase their names from the book of life. But I will announce before my Father and his angels that they are mine. So Jesus is looking at this church in Sardis, and there are some people there who have the reputation for being alive because they really are alive. Because they haven't soiled their clothes with evil. Because they are living at the standards that God calls them to. Because they haven't forgotten the gospel. And Jesus points out here reasons why, hey, it's worth not just having the reputation for being alive, but it's worth actually living fully alive for Jesus. This idea of walking with him, there in, that, in the end part of verse 4, he's going on to talk about the reality of our salvation in him, of being with him, of actually having relationship with him. He says, they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. All who are victorious will be clothed in white. Again, Jesus is using this imagery of clothes. Instead of their clothes being soiled, they'll be clothed in white. It's the idea of they, they will um, have the, the righteousness of God upon them. They won't be defiled by sin. And he goes on and says, I will never erase their names from the book of life. It's that promise of eternal life with Jesus now and forevermore. Eternal life doesn't start when we die or when Jesus comes home. It starts now. Right now, if you are a Jesus follower follower, your, your name is in the book of life. Your life with him has started now. And he goes on, and think, think about how cool this sentence is. He says, I will announce before my father and his angels that they are mine. At one point, we weren't Jesus's because of our sin. Because in our sin, we said, you know what? Forget you, God. I'm, I'm the God of my life. I'm going to do my thing. Yeah, you love me and created me, but forget it. I'm going to do what I want. But then when we repent and we turn to him, Jesus is like, this one, they're mine. No one can snatch them out of my hand. No one can separate them from my love. 
and I'm going to announce it to everyone, to the angels in heaven, to the, the Father in heaven. I'm going to announce it to everybody that this person is mine. And all of this imagery that Jesus uses here about the white clothes, about us, our name being in the book of life, of him announcing us to the Father and to the angels, I think he's, he's trying to help the church in Sardis be motivated to say, you know what? It's worth not just having the reputation for being alive, but actually living fully alive. Because we have the greatest, just craziest, most wonderful gift imaginable, and that's our salvation in Jesus Christ. That he would die on the cross for you and me. And so it's worth following him. Maybe you're in a season of life right now where it's really tempting to just say, you know what? I don't really want to live for Jesus right now. Yeah, I'm saved, but I, I just, I kind of want to coast. Or I'm distracted by, by work or by family or by all these other things. So you know what? I'm going to put Jesus on the back burner. Or I'm just so angry at God for allowing this to happen. Or why did that have to happen? Or I just don't understand. I'm so confused. So you know what? I'm just going to kind of give up and go through the motions. And I'll tell you what. If that's you today, you're not alone. And if that's you today, it's worth seeking to live fully for Jesus each and every day. Some days, that's going to be a lot easier than others. Some days, it's going to be a lot harder. Because when we follow Jesus... Oftentimes, he calls us to do difficult things. Repenting from sin is not a fun thing. Choosing to love others when they've hurt us, that's not fun. Choosing to forgive someone, choosing to just put up with the annoying people in our life, because <laughs> we all have those people, right? But it's worth following Jesus each and every day, not just in our reputation, but living out of that true identity because... He is alive, and he has given us true life. So for all of us today, just as we kind of wrap up here, if you are a Jesus follower here today, continue to hold on to the things that Jesus was telling the church in Sardis to hold on to. The gospel, keep holding on to that. Keep seeking to live for Jesus. If you aren't a Jesus follower here today, or you're wondering, you're thinking, you know what? I've kind of done the Christian thing. I've thought I was saved, but I'm not sure. Talk to somebody. Maybe your spouse. I would love to talk to you. Pastor Corey is not here this week, but I know he would love to talk to you. Someone else in this room. Find someone you can process that with. But for all of us, it's worth living for Jesus because he is alive and he has made us alive by the power of his gospel. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the fact that you wrote these letters to these different churches. Lord, I pray and ask that we as a church, may we not just have the reputation for being alive, but may we actually live out of that identity of really being alive. Lord, thank you that you came to earth and you died on the cross and you rose again and you are alive today in heaven. And we can uh, spend now and forevermore with you. I pray for anyone here who doesn't truly know you. 
May you be with them. May you speak to their heart. May they wake up. And Lord, I pray for anyone here who's going through one of those tempting seasons to just step back and just go through the motions. May you encourage them today to know that it's worth persevering. It's worth not just conforming to the culture around us, but actually seeking to live for you in the midst of the hardships each and every day. Thank you for being with us, for walking alongside us. In your name I pray.